My name is Christina and I am here today with Alan to talk about his experience with transportation in an effort to better understand how user goals can provide insight to design. As a student of design, I'm interested in exploring the deeper questions behind problems faced by users and gaining perspective on ways to improve applications, products, and services. Through speaking with everyday users, my hope is to gain a better understanding of what motivates our users' decisions and how environment impacts their experience. I have several questions I will be asking, beginning with getting to know our user. By learning about Alan's lifestyle, background, and interests, I can direct my questions more specifically to address issues he may be facing. Through learning about the preferences of users like Alan, I can develop a clearer picture of the spectrum of the users who will be engaging with this design. Thanks for having me. Um, this, this should be fun. So, uh, my name is Alan and I am 28 years old and I currently live in San Diego, California and I work as a data scientist for PECO. So I work for, um, it's a department called Repeat Delivery and we essentially uh, take care of all the subscription services that PECO's e-commerce website handles. So my job is really to data mine and, and really understand our customer behaviors and try to um, extrapolate the information in order to optimize um, who we're um, attracting onto our platform and try to you know get more eyeballs looking at our website and, and purchasing products from us. And, and it's really through data, you know, trying to understand through the numbers who our customers are, are you, someone who spends a lot in the brick and mortar stores? Or are you someone who spends a lot online? Um, are you someone who buys mostly dog food or cat food? Or uh, what type of brands are you loyal to? So those are all kind of data points that I explore and, and in order to figure out um, how we can better target our customers and, and get more uh, a larger share of their wallet f uh, for, for, a way, for a better way to, to say it, I guess, <laughs> for lack of a way better, yeah. Yeah, great. Um, so you mentioned Petco. What led you to Petco? Do you have an animal yourself or have an interest for animals? Yeah, so I, I do have a um, pretty large dog. She's a Rhodesian Ridgeback and I've owned her for about two years now. So um, I've owned her since she was uh, a pup and, and I've always you know had affinity for animals and ever since I was a kid I had um, a German Shepherd mix when I was growing up and so I've always loved animals and um, this is my second it's actually the second dog company or animal pet company I've worked for so um, I really enjoy uh, you know the company mission is is really all about pets and stuff mm -hmm. and that's why I'm in this industry hmm great um, anything you enjoy doing with your dog in your spare time or any hobbies you have outside of uh, work yeah, so I, I love, um, I'm pretty active outdoors, so I love um, hiking, camping, rock climbing, mountain biking. So I, I try to, you know, take my dog anywhere I can. Um, sometimes places like national parks aren't always um, very friendly, but I, I do my best. I mean, I take her pretty much everywhere I go. <laughs> <laughs> That's nice. I'm sure she enjoys that. Um, yeah. So typically when you're um, on the road, whether that's, you know, on your way to work or um, out and about, let's say you're heading out to the national park, um, what modes do you typically like to use for traveling? Um, so, travel. you mean like traveling to national park or for commuting work? Um, let's start with work. Yeah, so for work, um, I've actually done, I've actually tried almost everything. Uh, so, you know, my first job, I, I obviously drove because I lived in the Midwest. Mm. And so work was like, I think maybe, it was pretty far. It was probably like 20 miles drive every day. So obviously I had to drive. And then my second couple of jobs, I actually biked to work. So I biked about 22 miles to work every day. Um, and that was in San Francisco, actually. So they were very bike friendly. Um, that's why I did it, or else I pro probably wouldn't do it, obviously, in the Midwest, because they're not very bike-friendly. Um, 
the previous job to the one now, actually, I walk to work, which is really nice because I live in Santa Monica, mm-hmm. and I, it was great because uh, I live basically less than a mile from work, so I just walk, um, walk slash bike, um, and then now I kind of just uh, I drive to work, but um, just because I live a little bit further. And it really depends on like the type of uh, environment I'm in because if I live in a suburb, mm-hmm. which I do now, then obviously it's more convenient to drive. But if I live in sort of a more populated, dense area, then walking or biking makes more sense. Or even um, I've taken the metro a lot when I lived in Santa Monica cause, just because it was kind of convenient. But it depends on where you live. Mm. Great. Um, so you did mention that you do currently drive a car. Um, if you don't mind me asking, what initially motivated you to buy a car? And this obviously probably precedes your work, but um, over any other means of transportation. Yeah, you know, I, I first I bought my first car, my first job, which was when I moved out to the Midwest, and I remember that actually because. I, I you know I bought my ticket out there a week before I started my job and I had to find I had one weekend to, to buy a car essentially you know so I just went to dealership and found the first car that was decent enough for me to drive and I, I bought it and um, so the main reason was I needed something quick and something reliable and that's why I mean I got a car there's no way there's no other way I could have gotten to work other than a car in the Midwest at least Mm, yeah. Okay. So prior to moving out there, um, how did you find out that that would be the main mode of transportation out there? Did you have um, someone you spoke with or you researched online or um, spoke with the company? And Yeah. So like in the Midwest, obviously there, I, I live in Oklahoma, so um, every, the culture is all about, you know, driving everywhere and you actually where I lived there was no sidewalks even you know people it was odd to even see people walking on the street just because everyone drew drove everywhere so I I knew I had to buy a car you know like I mean obviously yeah I did research I, I, I kind of the culture what it was like out there and everyone obviously drives a lot and um uh, it obviously depends on where I live as well because when I was searching for apartments you know uh, ideally you would want something closer to work but I, I couldn't find anything close to work so I had to go a little further and you know, the further you go then you're more limited by transportation modes so mm-hmm. car was obviously the um, most ideal or you know most quickest most efficient way to get to work and it's not too bad actually in Oklahoma because um there's no tra- it's not traffic like in LA you know so it's it's not bad mm. you think that had a influence on your decision of where to move um, based on you know, your your choice of where you took a job was how traffic impacted that and whether or not you would be commuting with a car um not really like I I, I don't really think about traffic or commuting when I uh, pursue a career that's not like top of mind I guess um, but yeah I mean it, I, I kind of just go with the flow and whether whatever happens happens so happened that I needed a car it's not honestly I, I personally don't want I personally don't like driving like I don't uh, I study environmental science so I'm not um, you know I'm kind of not, not, I don't want to say against cars, but I, I like to minimize my uh, footprint on, on the planet, which is reducing my uh, you know, miles I drive in a car. And I prefer to always bike or walk because um, I want to be physically active. So um, that's what I prefer. But, you know, obviously that's, life doesn't always command those type of ideals. So. Mm-hmm. Great. That kind of just segues us into the next um, question I had. And um, I guess kind of like on a scale of like one to 10, one being like the least important, 10 being like the most important thing. Um, How important are the following um, when it comes to your method of transportation? So let's say considering factors like cost, 
convenience, privacy, like you mentioned, like environmental, um, environmentally friendly, um, which would you like prioritize one above the other and how would you rate that? Um, in terms of transportation modes, mm-hmm. methods, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, For your preference. I, I would say number one... Well, it kind of depends on the purpose of the transport, right? Like, if for commuting, I prefer something that's convenient and cheap because, obviously, I need to commute every day. But if it's for uh, traveling, vacation, I prefer something that's a little bit more fun, interesting, different, quirky. So, usually, like, I, when, I, when I, for example, when I travel, I, I actually like to do um, city bikes. Um, and it's a really great way to get around the city just because it's, um, you know, it, you don't have to deal with traffic because you can just cut right through the traffic and cycling is really fast in the city. Um, it's really efficient if, if the system is set up correctly. But um, yeah, so in general, like commuting, convenience is number one uh, and costs, obviously. Um, if if it's something that I don't do as much, then I definitely prefer, um, you know, environment is the top. So exercise is also really important for me. I, I like to get exercise when I commute. Uh, yeah. How about the privacy factor when it comes to public transportation? Is that something that not, comes to mind for you? Not really. I don't really care. Like I, I would, I don't mind taking public transport. I, I love it. I just um, the 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 thing that the, the main reason why I don't take public transportation is just because it's inconvenient. It's like, it, it's it's cheap and affordable, but it usually increases my travel time like double just because it's, you're, you, there's no direct path from point A to point B. So um, it's just inconvenient to be honest. Mm. But so, privacy is not an issue for me. I don't, I don't care about privacy. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, in terms of your lifestyle as of most recently, would you say um, you're primarily commuting by car? You're using that as your primary means of transportation during the week? Yes, okay. that's correct. And does that change at all for weekends or compared to weekdays? Um, right now, no, it doesn't change. I mostly drive everywhere, yeah. Okay. Um, how about in terms of activities during the day versus in the evening? Um, yeah, I mean, so I, I only drive once a day, and that's just to commute to work. When I get home, I, I don't drive at all. Anywhere else, I just, I usually bike or walk. Okay. Um, seeing as how you currently use a car to get to work, would you say you consider yourself a commuter? Yes, definitely. Okay. Yeah. Um, what does that term bring to thought for you? Like, what um, associations does that kind of bring to you when you hear that someone's a commuter? Um, a commuter is just someone who um, makes a trip from point A to point B consistently, regularly throughout the week. Um, it and it typically is. Uh, is confined to weekdays. Okay. Community is confined to weekdays. Okay. So it's it's usually for work for school. That's that's how people define community. Um, any time time uh, restraints on that, or do you associate like a certain amount of time spent actually in transportation mode as being associated with commuting? Um, yeah, so, well, no, actually, I wouldn't say there's a time restriction, a time of day restriction for commuting. I don't think so, because people, um, people can go to work any time of day. Yeah, mm. Yeah. sorry, um, to clarify, I meant more like, um, length of time spent commuting. Is there a... Would you consider, let's say, someone who spends half an hour uh, 
in the car versus someone who spends maybe an hour and a half in the car. Mm-hmm. Is there a difference for what you associate uh, commuting to be? No. I think as long as the goal is to get from point A to point B, you know, consistently, regularly throughout the weekdays for purpose of work or school, that is called commuting. It doesn't matter how long they're driving or walking or taking the subway. It can be with any mode of transport. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so you mentioned you commute f- to work from home. Um, has transportation played a role in your decision um, for where you currently now live or work? I know you'd mentioned back in Oklahoma it, it didn't so much matter, um, but for your most recent job, um, would you say that it's played any role in your decision of where you currently live? Does commuting play a role in my... Uh, just transportation, um, let's say um, modes of transportation, accessibility to transportation. Does it play a role in, sorry? Um, just where you have decided to live and work. Oh, um, I mean, ideally I, I prefer to obviously live closer to work so I can walk or bike but um, obviously cost is kind of one of my number one constraints so the closer you live to work uh, the more expensive rent will be so I kind of um, you know measure that opportunity cost of if I live closer to work then I'm gonna have to pay higher rent but then if, versus if I live farther further away, then I'm gonna have to pay more higher transportation costs due to you know longer distance of commute and, and more money spent for gas. Um, but usually it's cheaper to do the you know longer commute because gas is still relatively cheap right now. Um, so I would say, um, yeah, it does, it definitely does impact the mode of transport does impact my choice of uh, of where to live because it's based on convenience and cost, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So usually by vehicle, by car, uh, is the most convenient and most cost-effective. So that's, yeah. Hmm. When you say cost-effective, is there a, personally, like a, a limit to a budget that you have in mind when you, when you I guess, think about costs? Um, like let's say if it exceeds a certain amount would you then consider an alternate mode of transportation such as um, perhaps carpooling with someone or maybe taking a bus yeah um i've i'm well aware of all the different um business models out there that are trying to you know shake up the way that we commute can you expand on that? What do you mean by business models? Yeah, so there's a there's a couple startups who are, um, you know, doing van pools and ride sharing services. And it's kind of exploded in the last few years because, you know, most most people commute individually, right? And obviously, you go on the freeway or you, you look out and most people are just driving by themselves and the carpool lane is very few but I mean it's getting better but um, so a lot of these companies are trying to exploit this and say hey you know um, if you commute with these three other people to you, you guys are basically traveling to the same area same destination why don't you guys you know carpool and save money at the same time and you don't have to drive you don't have to worry about driving you can read a book um, save money so yeah it's definitely something I've considered um, I've even looked up opportunities to do ride sharing but I haven't um, I haven't found anything like in my, anyone in my direct area that um, that really fit my commute however I did actually when I was living in Oklahoma I did 
um, commute with my roommate every day to work. Um, so, and we, we, you know, one week I would drive and then one week she would drive. So we save money that way. So I, I have done ride sharing before, yeah. Hmm. How was that experience? It's good. I mean, we literally work the same company, so it made total sense to do that. So um, it, it would save 50% on gas, you know, because we literally split the cost. Um, yeah. But I... I, I mean, right, if you were to ask me, like, if I would do that right now, honestly, I wouldn't just because of convenience, kind of. Like, I, I live, right now, even right now, I live relatively close to work. I live probably only maybe 10 miles from work. So, to kind of have, oh, actually, I can tell you exactly why I wouldn't want to do it. Because sometimes you have to rely on another person's schedule. So, for instance, I get off... My, my, my work schedule is kind of very flexible. Sometimes I go in earlier. Sometimes I go in later. Sometimes I work later. Sometimes I you know, get off earlier. And if I have to be restricted to someone else's schedule, um, that's a little tough for me because I don't know when I need to work overtime, for instance. And that's kind of stressful for me. Like, oh, I need to finish this before 7 because I need to, need to catch that van pool or else I'm not going to find a way to get home. So, for me, that's kind of... Um, a huge inconvenience and it kind of outweighs uh, the, the, the you know obviously the cost savings doesn't outweigh the, the inconvenience you know so that's why I wouldn't do it got it so apart from um, flexibility with work schedules uh, have there been any other special circumstances where you've chosen you know let's say uh, one mode of transportation over the other um, like let's say in your prior job where you you mentioned you had biked or walked to work. Mm-hmm. Um, were there any circumstances where you chose to take the car instead? Um, I, I almost always bike to work. I'd say like I, I actually can't remember. Maybe like a very few times that I drive to work, I was very consistent um, biking to work just because. Um, San Francisco is a very bike friendly, obviously, and um, my company had a shower, so I just you know shower there, and it was nice. It wasn't a, it wasn't too much of a hassle. Um, and the funny thing is, I worked for BMW, so at the time, and so they were like obviously they make cars, and, and they were a transportation company, and so um, the whole culture there was all around you know like sustainability, and I worked. My, my job was you know sustainable transportation or I, I did I was working in, in this field sustainable energy and so you know I had to kind of exemplify the work that I was doing so obviously you know me biking to work was kind of um, kind of exemplifies it obviously right so it felt good to bike rather than drive you know so did you say that that experience of working there changed your perspective on your approach to transportation? Uh, no. I always had this this whole philosophy about transportation, you know, like I'm always I'm always for um, non motorized transport, um, if I can get away with it. Um I've always had that perspective, you know, going through college, and I actually studied transportation engineering in college, so, um, yeah, so, yeah. Did the, um, did BMW or any of your other companies ever provide you with any incentive for, um, certain means of transportation? Um. And if they did, like, did you, what influenced your decision to use them and take them up on the offer versus not choosing to use it they actually did not give us incentives to bike to work um at which at, company? at bmw okay but i i heard of certain companies that did give incentives for instance tesla gives you uh 
I think they give you like 20 bucks a day that you bike to work, which is pretty decent actually. Um, and my previous company, Doc Vacay, they actually gave me um, $100 per month if I didn't use uh, non motorized or if I didn't use motorized transportation methods. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, so there are, I mean, there are companies out there who are definitely, you know, pushing the sustainability of transport. So it's it's great. Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, let's see here. You think anything's changed much with the way you've um, chosen to travel over time? Um, if so, how? Um, and this kind of um, may overlap a little bit of what we just talked about, but I'm looking kind of more in the broader scope of from the period when perhaps you first started trans transporting yourself. <laughs> oh, okay, I put this. When you first, let's say, started driving, maybe that was like high school versus relying on someone else for transportation. Or maybe... How has it changed since a period of time when you were relying on, let's say, someone else to transport you versus now? Yeah, you know, I, I've always been kind of like even growing up, going through grade school, high school, I've never owned my own car and didn't get my license in, until actually I was 21 years of age, which was like in college. So I've always, um, you know, either relied on my mother, my father to, to take me to school or... I biked myself, so uh, I guess I didn't take transportation for granted, and I always found a way to get somewhere I needed to be. So I was comfortable, you know, not relying on a vehicle because obviously I didn't have my license until twenty one, um, and even in college, you know, I didn't have my own car. Like most of my friends had their own cars, so my vehicle was literally my bike, and I biked everywhere. And I love that experience. You know, I loved biking college, and um, it's actually it's just so efficient. It's so much more efficient than, than a car, to be honest. Like, uh, you know, I can weave in through you know parking lots. I'd cut through alleyways and save so much time. I don't have to deal with traffic and traffic lights, and um, and it's just it's just fun. You know, like. You can feel the wind, you know, it's really mm -hmm. fun. I like it. Yeah. Um, so. What's your feeling on, so there, there are currently other forms of non-car, non, I guess you can say, um, public transportation methods of getting around, such as like a scooter or an electric bike even. What's mm -hmm. your feeling about that? Oh yeah, I'm all for those. Um those types of uh th those are i mean uh, when i say non-motorized i i actually i actually have a subtle uh you know discrimination between uh the motorized electric versus motorized internal combustion engines which are mm. based off of gasoline or diesel or something like that so I think I am very supportive of electric vehicles, motorized electric vehicles. I actually um, did commute using an electric skateboard for a while when I worked for BMW. Um, that was super fun, and it's it's not as good even for the environment as like a bike or walking, but it's better um, because you can't expect everyone to bike to work or walk to work, you know, like and. Um, Riding an electric vehicle is kind of the next best thing, you know. I, I totally support. It. I actually have a friend who owns a electric bike company, and um, it's actually doing quite well. It's pretty cool. Um, but it, it's it's actually really big electric bikes. They call them e-bikes. They're really big in China, and they have been big there for the past decade. It hasn't really penetrated the US market quite yet just because um, I guess people think it's very unsafe just because uh, you know 
especially with all the cars and, and the speed of people driving in America, it's just really unsafe to, to, to kind of ride these vehicles. And so even in California, they actually have laws against electric um, electric vehicles on, on the road. So it's, it's kind of discouraged, which is sad, um, but I think it's getting some, it's getting some headway and um, I, I think it would be great for, you know, commuting if, if we sort of support that a little bit more with legislation. Mm. So if you, um, I guess in, in the near future were to find that that method of transportation became more accessible, would you be more inclined to use that over, let's say, your traditional bike? No, um, I, 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 I still kind of prefer the bicycle just because, I mean, I've ridden electric, electric bikes, e-bikes, and they're, they're really fun to ride, but obviously the one thing that's disadvantage, which is quite a big disadvantage, is they run out of power. And when they run out of power, um, their batteries are very heavy and so you have to you know when you're out of the power you have to start cycling yourself and it's, it's actually very tiresome because the bikes that are equipped with electric components are actually quite heavy um, so it's not very efficient um, to pedal yourself on an electric bike um, so I, I much prefer a bike that is you know really light and nimble because for, for me I'm, I'm relatively physically active so it's easy for me to get around to put around in a bike so i have no problem but i know a lot of people one of the biggest patrons of e-bikes are people who who enjoy the sport of biking but they don't have quite the physical um you know physique to sort of handle that and so that's where e-bikes actually um are pretty popular in that sort of customer segment Mm. apart from I guess you could say a holding a longer battery charge if there was anything you could change or improve the um, for the e-bike what, what would that be? Um, you mentioned weight yeah actually like there's there's been quite a bit of a, a revolution in the in the e-bike space um, in terms of design um, they've redesigned how e-bikes look for instance it used to be very uh, very tacky they just literally patch on a big battery pack onto the bike and they have a motor and then and then they have controllers and a bunch of wires everywhere hanging off the bike and that's what the first iteration of e-bikes look like but nowadays they got really fancy they have you know wires all hidden into you know, running through in the inner tubes and they got like um the the hubs the, the the motor that's also hidden inside the hub of the wheels and everything is controlled by a smartphone device so um, you can sort of uh, control the speed and everything through you know through your smartphone and you can track your bike everything is getting you know really smart really intelligent and and very sleek you know like the battery is completely hidden now like you can't see it anymore like you can't even tell it's an e-bike anymore um but you know with all these with design like once you start to simplify things and make them sleeper sleeker and cleaner you also kind of compromise the um customi customi customability of it you know you can't you can't change the battery upgrade it as easily because everything's kind of built in already and you need special tools to take it apart it's very similar with the MacBook, right? Like a couple of years ago, I used to own the, you know, the white version of the MacBook, and it's really easy to take out the battery to fix it. Um, but nowadays, with the new MacBook Airs and the new MacBook Pros, um, everything is super thin and, and super integrated, and it's really difficult to, to to fix anything anymore. So it's it's kind of. Um, it's a trade-off with design, I think. A lot of things are kind of headed that way. It's same thing with manual versus standard car, uh, manual versus automatic cars, mm -hmm. right? Like, manual cars are very easy to fix by yourself, but then like nowadays, 
um, more advanced vehicles are very difficult just because of all the technology in there and electronics so yeah that's really fascinating um i mean on a personal level would you say that uh which which would have more of a priority for you when it comes down to purchasing a product you know the appearance of the product versus the customization of the product um i don't know like i think i i'm I'll, maybe i'll answer answer your question with a different uh answering a different question i guess mm. for me for me, I mean, in design, there's two basic things, right? There's functionality versus, um, I guess, aesthetics. Like, do you prefer aesthetic products or do you prefer functional products? For me, I'm like, I'm definitely in the functional bucket. Um, I don't care if it's ugly or you know, bulky or whatever, as long as it is super functional and modular like you can break it down you can fix it or you can you can upgrade it very easily like and, and create custom custom adjustments or whatever for me that's much more appealing than um something that is appealing that mm. looks aesthetically appealing that being said i mean is it enough though for you to have something that is functional let's say going back to the example you talked about with the first generation of e-bikes you know um they weren't necessarily um perhaps the most aesthetically looking you Mm -hmm. know creation but from a functional perspective they were is that alone enough to convince you know let's say you from going from uh, your current mode of transportation which is manual versus electing to use this new form um yeah, I mean, like, I think I think it's hard to say. I would literally have to kind of evaluate the product on a case-by-case basis. But, um, yeah, obviously I don't want something that's terribly inconvenient to use. It would have to be kind of inconvenient, but also still practical. Like, um, I, I just, I'm, I'm really just trying to make the point that I feel like a lot of products these days are, are designed to look cool but really have no purpose and no function um, I'm, I'm just against that I, I'm really like everything on a product has to be functional it has to be has to be doing something has to be benefiting the user ex- experience um, that's 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 basically my point mm. what does it mean to you to be practical uh, practical to me equals functionality so um, something that you know I can I could use you know can use ideally every day you know that's very something something that fulfills more than one use case is practical um, something that's intuitive um and something that's reliable like that's that's practical to me Mm, can you think of an example of something that has fulfilled that it doesn't have to be transportation related but something that's fulfilled that kind of multi-purposeful um preference and it can Um, be something even simple um yeah, you know, like I, it's funny because this is an example of you know my my whole philosophy of functionality versus um, aesthetics, design. So, fashion, right? I I'm not the most fashionable person, so I usually like clothes that are really functional. So, right now I'm wearing these black. Um, I think they're Reebok shorts. They're called utility shorts, actually. Um, and I love these shorts. I bought these probably I don't know, ten years ago, but I still wear them. And they they look, you know, they look pretty casual, but also they're not like trashy. They they could still be kind of formal. I mean, um, I can wear them out for for dinner, and they're okay. But but the cool thing is I can wear them out hiking. I can I can wear them out for 
um, you know, cycling, any any sort of. I can even I can even use them as a swimming trunks, you know, um, and I have done. I've had, I've used them for everything, and and they're still you know they still work perfectly fine. There's they're very um, you know very rugged and very durable material and um, that and that's in my eye my eye something that's really functional that could be sort of it's very versatile I mean, versatile is something I always look for in products because I hate um, buying things over and over again I don't believe in creative to grave I believe in buying a product that um, I can use for a lifetime you know something that's reliable that's built to last Mm. Yeah. You mentioned the term. What is it? Cr- cradle to grave. Cradle to grave. I've actually never heard that term before. What does that mean? Yeah. So, like, I think Walmart came out with this. I, I this this whole concept was kind of based on Walmart, because Walmart, um, had you know Walmart got, gets a bad rap just because a couple of years ago, and people were saying, oh, you know, you guys employ. Um, you know, slave laborers from China, and basically all your products are are you know, just crap. You know, like super cheap, and people buy them, use it, and throw it away. So that's kind of the the whole like process. It's um, they're they're not you they they purposely design these products so that they can be uh, used and and thrown away and trashed land in the landfills they're not meant to to sort of last and, and that's to walmart's benefit right so they can sort of increase their um increase their revenues for for getting customers to come back and repurchasing those same products mm. um so creative grave is i guess um i i can't remember exactly what the connection is but obviously cradle is from from you know birth to grave which is death so um, I, I don't know I actually can't remember what the, the exact connection was but yeah, if you okay. google the term cradle mm-hmm. to grave um, it's like the product life cycle you mm-hmm. know like mm-hmm. um, how, how short and how long should that life cycle be and obviously with Walmart it's, it, their intention for every product was to make it as short as possible and yeah that's what it was and so they were kind of criticized for that a lot mm-hmm to you personally, what does the death of a product look like? Um, that's, that's an interesting question, actually, because for me, like, I, I like to use things until literally they lose their purpose or functionality. Like, um, I'll give you an example. It's like I had this T-shirt and it had maybe like 20 different holes in everywhere <laughs> and I still wore it because it technically served its function which was to keep me warm and covered right covered I guess <laughs> however you wanted to find that to my definition it was satisfying it so um, so that was I mean yeah obviously that I could still use it so it still functions so to, I have a very liberal um, definition of when a, a product is dead obviously but um, I like to use things until they're absolutely trash you know like um, even if they look terrible and super dirty or, or super beat up I'll, I'll still use it as long as it serves its function like a lot of people I know they probably stop using a product just because it, it just looks ugly and but it works perfectly fine you know like again my philosophy about functional versus aesthetics right like mm-hmm. as long as it functions but it doesn't look good i don't care as long as it functions you know mm-hmm. yeah what if um if you had control over the product cycle in terms of when products let's say get kind of put to rest you know when when they I guess you obviously can't control what other people do but um, if there was anything that you could change about that cycle to have an effect on 
kind of, I guess, that, that whole cycle in itself. I mean, like, what would you do differently than what you've observed is currently being done? And I mean it in the broader sense, not specifically, let's say, to the way Walmart might be doing it right now, but I guess in the grander sense. What do you, is there anything you feel it's missing or that companies are overlooking that? Yes. Maybe it's the whole cycle in itself that that's. Um, yes. One big thing that companies, and this is by design actually, companies like Walmart builds products as one whole piece. You know, like take a pen for example. You know, it's it's manufactured in its entirety, and there's if one piece breaks, you literally have to throw away the whole thing. Um, but if you buy an expensive pen, there's pieces to it. There's the cover, there's the, the actual ink, um, um, there's, I don't know, uh, even the, the case has a bunch of pieces to it that you can sort of uh, put together. And so it's very easy to sort of repair that pen basically by um, changing out the ink right mm -hmm. ink cartridge and you can just reuse that pen but with those you know cheap big pens like you can't remove the ink cartridge from it you just have to throw away the whole thing and that's by design right um, so if I obviously I if I were to design products that's what I would be designing what I would have in mind is always modularity. So you build products that you can break down into parts and pieces. So when something breaks, you replace that part. You don't replace the whole thing because if you replace the whole thing, then you're just wasting resources because obviously um, when things break down over time, it's not the whole thing that breaks down. It's usually a single piece that breaks down. Mm -hmm. um, so that's what I that's what I um, believe more companies should do, um, but I I know why they don't do it is because it's expensive to build modular modular design. Um, the parts are more expensive. It costs more to machine it because you're building multiple pieces, um, and it requires a lot more precision and engineering. So that's why they don't do it. Mm, I guess re relaying that back to you know we talked about earlier with mm, current resources that are being invented or used for transportation how do you see that model kind of translating over or have you already seen successful models um, of companies who have been adopting that kind of mindset and approach to design yeah for I mean for cars is not an issue for cars obviously you need to have Cars in, is an expensive piece of uh, material, so everything is modular in it already. You have a bunch of pieces that make up the car. I think for cars, really, it is more of the sort of ingredients that that go into the manufacturing process. What are where's the plastic coming from? Where's the textiles coming from? Um, where's the fuel coming from? Where's the battery coming from? Those are more of the the questions I would ask um, transportation or OEMs, they call them. Or, uh, original manufacturing something like that but car companies um, I guess used to be more uh, you know less or more negligent in terms of where their materials are coming from but now nowadays they're doing a lot better um, it, and, and, and it's not always about where they're coming from but also where are they being um, how are they being uh, sort of put to grave you know how are the pieces uh, being reused or uh, recycled or um, discontinued you know like when a car when a car is put uh, is is you know broken what do you usually do with it you put it in a junkyard right but mm -hmm. like um, what about cars that uh, I mean what what are the other options I don't know it's like where, where do cars in the junkyard go to you a lot of materials sort of recycle and reuse, but some of it's toxic and they can't reuse it, so they throw it in landfill. So, um, 
taking those things into consideration is um, is costly. You know, companies don't always want to think about um, the afterthought of, of a car because to them it's not um, it's not their job. You know, their job is to make the car, sell it to you, and after that it's not their responsibility. You know, um, but. I think that companies obviously should have a uh, more holistic thinking of 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 the products they put out in the world. You know, it's it's you make a product; it's kind of your responsibility to see it to the end. Um, and so, I think companies are doing doing that a little bit more nowadays. So, yeah. Hmm. Um. We're almost wrapping up here, but like, what does that idea of a holistic model look like to you? Um, well, I mean, just like I kind of said, like, I think, I think a model that really takes a lot of thought into uh, tracking the life cycle of materials of a vehicle, you know, um, so there's obviously, um, you know, there's the, there's the materials for the car, there, there's the fuel for the car, and then there's the infrastructure to support the vehicles. Those are the three components for a transportation system. And uh, to, really, to really be able to um, track how materials are progressing throughout the system or you know people's lives tracking that um, to its end is really uh, the model that people should be uh, sort of evaluating before they put out these products um, they should know the consequences of of the products um, from beginning to end and for instance a lot of people think that um, electric vehicles are cleaner than internal combustion engines just because um, electric car doesn't have pollution coming out of it, right? But that's not true because uh, electric cars are non-point source pollution versus point source, which is for a car, a vehicle, a ICE. So you have obviously exhaust coming out of a, a internal combustion engine that's a point source you can literally see the pollution but for electric cars you can't see the pollution as a consumer but actually um, you have to take a step back in the product product life cycle which just goes back to the um, where the fuel the fuel is is built so the batteries that's the fuel for electric vehicles right so these batteries are manufactured in in you know either coal-fired power plants or or nuclear power plants or um, natural gas power plants okay and they need to produce electricity how do they get the electricity to get it from fossil fuels I'd say like it's still maybe 80% of maybe even higher 90% of all electricity in the in the US is still produced from fossil fuels um, the remaining is like solar, geothermal, um, tidal energy, um, um, yeah. So those and wind energy. So it, it's you really have to you really have to measure at a very very um, granular level how things are sort of progressing throughout the system, right? Because you have to track them. Because if, if one thing shows up, one thing doesn't show up at stage A, might show up at stage C, you know, it, just because you don't see it at one stage doesn't mean it didn't appear at a different stage. And so you, we just have to be able to track, it, it's, a whole, it's an accounting model, like you just have to be able to track where everything is going, um, you know, input equals output, so you just have to know where everything is going. Um, and so that's that's the model that I think people should be it, obviously it's a lot of work and um, I've known people who've done this it's called life cycle analysis 
it's where you sort of analyze the the product from from inception into uh, death so it is a lot of work obviously because you need to know because it, it's an interesting question like if you ask someone do they know where their clothes come from like do you know how how your food gets to you the food is a great example like you don't know who made the food how it got the food to you you know um if people really did the research to to um to figure out where how the food got to them most people wouldn't succeed you know because it's such a complicated process you know like it's extremely complicated and, and, and it goes through so many different um cans you know like so many different avenues like people who comes through transportation trucks uh, you can get you know vegetables or corn from mexico and then know, fruit from vietnam or whatever and it's just coming through all over the world and, and ideally you could track everything but it is really really complicated really fast so that's the ideal model but obviously um it's hard to do that all the time yeah 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 it's an interesting thought though um and i guess we'll just we'll end with this kind of um fun question um so currently you had mentioned you know some of the limitations with your methods for transportation include you know maybe like it's cost or um convenience so um i was trying to think you know if if none of these factors were in fact limiting let's say those two factors weren't um they just weren't factors in terms of uh transportation how would your life look different from what it is now oh um if cost and convenience were not an issue mm-hmm. um, well convenience would technically include time so if I could if I had all the world all the time in the world to get to work then I would definitely ride my bike you know that's it's lovely to ride to be able to ride to ride, ride to work and have to worry about um, you know the time if that's this hypothetical question you're asking um, cost wise doesn't is kind of negligible if you're telling me I'm gonna buy because that costs no money mm-hmm. um, other than I get hungrier I like to work <laughs> that means more but yeah so I guess I could technically count as a cost You'd have to, you'd have to eat is. and feed yourself more, right? It definitely right? is. I, I was definitely hungrier when I was biking to work every day. There's <laughs> no question about that. Uh, like I said, that's a kind of a good point because, um, you know, something shows up one place and that means it doesn't show up in another place. It, you know, it's, it matters, um, you know, input is equal to output. You know, matter and energy is always there's always a different form of it matter is never destroyed or um, created it's just transferred into a different form right so mm-hmm. if I if I didn't drive a car um, I'm still burning energy right I burn energy by cycling that's my own fuel food is my fuel now not gasoline so mm-hmm. um, but ultimately it's like you ask the, the question is what's better for the environment for example like am i being more efficient by not you know consuming burning, as much consuming as much or or you know consuming fuel like what's more efficient consuming fuel or eating food you know obviously eating food food is more efficient than consuming fuel because um, it's an extremely um very very uh, labor-intensive, expensive process to extract fuel and, and oil, obviously. So, I mean, those are things, those are all interesting questions that people ponder about all the time, like, <laughs> you know, like, and there's also, there's also, like, treadmills that you can 
when, when you work out for instance like it, you can be charging a battery you know and and then you can power your house or whatever by working out every day or whatever you know um yeah there's a lot of interesting questions yeah yeah cool that just about wraps it up um was there anything you wanted to add to anything that you might have stated earlier or anything you want to share mm, not really okay yeah yeah great well thank you so much for your time for sharing your experiences and um that was very interesting to hear <laughs> yeah it was, it was it was my pleasure thank you so much yeah. i enjoyed it mm-hmm.